Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Probably applying to other areas of their life, so it'll be a great blessing to them, all right? Okay, well, let's jump into what we're talking about today. We are in a series called Free Indeed, and this series is designed to help us all with that one area of our life that we seem to be stuck in. We all have that, whether you want to admit it or not, you've all got something. Even if you've been a Christian or a Christ follower for a really long time, you've got that one area in your life that continues to be a problem for you. It's probably that thing that winds up on your list of resolutions every January. Like you say, man, this one thing I want to stop doing or this one thing I want to start doing. It's like that area in your life you want to identify that if I just had that one thing under control, my life would be better. And that's what this series is all about. It's to help you be free, but not just free, free indeed. And so we have a theme verse we've been looking at that helps us understand what we need to do. And it's John 8. And it's Jesus talking to some people. And he says to the Jews who had believed him. In other words, these are the Christians. He's talking to Christians, all right? People that said, Jesus, you're the man. You're the Christ. We're going to follow after you. And and we're going to be just like you. We're going to live just like you. He says to the Jews who had believed, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. All right, check. We got that, Jesus. We're we're, going to do what you tell us to do. He says, then you will, now that's a future tense. He's talking about something in the future. He said, hey, you're my followers, but there's something coming on the horizon. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Basically, what he's telling them is, hey, you're you're my followers. That's awesome. That's great. However, there is now a process that you need to go through And that process is a process of learning truth. And he says, once you know the truth, then you'll be made free. But they looked at him and said, Jesus, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? That's like looking at me today. You sitting here and saying, I've gone to church all my life. I don't have any areas that I need free from. Listen, can I help you out with something? Yes, you do. And you will never be free from those areas in your life until you admit that you have an area. You can't be free indeed until you identify it, all right? And so Jesus looks back at him and says, very truly, I tell, tell you, everyone who sins is a slave. So he's kind of leveling the playing field, helping them understand what that area is. And now that I've said it, you probably understand it too. Oh, it's one of those things. It, it's where we're walking away from God's best for our life. It's that thing. It's not just a weight loss plan or I want to you know, do better on the job. It's not like that. It's, it's like, hey, this is an area God says, hey, this is the way I've told you to live, and you're walking away from it. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, every time you act out in that way, sin becomes your master. It starts telling you what to do. And Jesus says there's a problem with this. He says, a slave has no permanent place in the family. In other words, you're not getting God's best for your life every time you allow that thing to have mastery over you. He says, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's what we want. We all want to be free. We want to experience that. But how do we do it? Can we really be free? And the answer is yes, but, but how? And that's what we've been talking about. 
And so in the last couple weeks, we talked about the way that we actually become free indeed is, is by realizing several things. First, you need to realize that there's a war going on. And that war, first of all, happens internally. We learned that, hey, listen, you're not an earthly being having a spiritual experience on Sundays. You are a first a spiritual being having an earthly experience. You, you, your spirit will live on in eternity, which is much longer than the 70 or so years that you will live here on this earth. And you're having an earthly experience on your time here. And that means that, that you need to approach this from a spiritual way, that you need to understand that since you are a spirit and since you said yes to Jesus, your spirit wants to do what God says to do. It wants to be in line with God's best for your life, but your flesh, your body is not saved. It is totally and utterly under the curse of the, the law of sin and death. And, and we are cursed to follow that until the day we get in heaven where our bodies will be made new. What that means is, our flesh, our mind, will, and emotions want to do something different than what our spirit wants to do, which is what God wants for us, right? And, 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 and so we, there's this war. The Bible says there's a war raging inside of you. And so you got to win that war. And we, we said the way to win this is through two things. It's through prayer and it's through fasting because prayer builds up your spirit, strengthens it, and fasting weakens your flesh. You can fast food. You can fast social media, TV, music. You can fast social interactions and just withdraw and spend time with God. There's all kinds of fasts you can do. But when you fast, you weaken your flesh. And when you pray, you strengthen your spirit. That's how you win the war internally. And then you need to realize there's an external war. It's not just you raging against yourself. There's actually an enemy of your soul. He hates you. In fact, the Bible gives his job description and says that he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he's going to do. He wants to destroy your life, and until you realize there's a war happening, you'll never engage in it. There's a war happening in your life. And so the, we talked about the way the enemy, the only weapon the enemy has against you, and we'll talk about it more today, is his lies. That's the way he gets you, is his lies. And so it's important that we know God's truth so that we can shut down those lies. When you hear a lie, you can replace it with the truth, and that defeats it. And then last week we talked about, listen, the enemy's got some strategies. In every war, the general has some strategies in how he's going to attack you. The weapon's always the same. It's always lies. But how he gets to you, there are three doors that we talked about last week. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if we don't close those doors, then the enemy gets into our life with what we call a foothold. He gets that foothold in your life, and that's how he enters in and begins to steal from you. And we said, if you want the devil to stop stealing from you, you got to close those doors, and we discussed how to do that. And so if you missed all of those messages, I want to encourage you to go back. Go back and listen to them. If you really need to experience freedom in your life, you need to go back and listen to those messages. Today, I want to take you on a different journey, and I want to help you to not only be free, but today I want to help you be free and stay free. Because the problem is, is that you, some of you and most of you will experience freedom. Some of you are experiencing it right now. The problem is, is that when we experience freedom, we have a tendency to go back. Many of you know this. You, you identified this, and there's this cycle in your life of freedom, but you wind up in bondage again, and you want to break free of that cycle. Jesus actually predicted that this cycle would happen. It's kind of a bummer verse that's in the Bible. I mean, nobody looks at this verse and says, man, that was so encouraging to me. Thank you, Jesus. This is my life verse. I'm going to get it tattooed on my arm. Nobody does this. Look, check it out. Here's the bummer verse, and I apologize because I know you're here at church today being encouraged, and I promise your encouragement is coming. But look what Jesus said. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. 
That's not cool. Because once it's gone, you want it to be gone. Once you're free, you want it to stay free. It says, so it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. And then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. That's not cool. It says, and so that person is worse off than before. That's really not cool. I hate that. But that is the cycle. There's nothing about this verse that appeals to me. And Jesus is, though, is, is taking the opportunity to kind of share us some truth, to make us aware of a dynamic that exists in life. Listen, he's not saying that this has to happen to you. He's letting you know that it can happen to you. It's a warning verse so that it won't happen. And what Jesus is saying is that, yes, you may have freedom, but the fight's not over. The enemy's going to come back. Those doors that you closed... He's going to check it to make sure that it's locked over and over and over again. Now, it's not a problem if you know what to do. And that's my job. My job is to help you know what to do when. Not if he comes back, because he's coming back. It's to help you know what to do when he comes back. And this cycle of freedom and into bondage, you need to understand, is not just here in Christianity. It's like all over the world. It happens in governments. It happens in countries. It happens in your health. It'll happen in your marriage. It's bound to happen to you, this cycle of freedom and bondage over and over again, if you aren't aware. So let me help you understand the cycle, and you'll see yourself in it. The first step in the cycle is where you get freedom. You get free. There is something inside of you that identifies and says, life can be different than it is right now. I can have something better. I've seen it in someone else's life. I can be different, and so you pursue it. As Americans, we understand this concept of freedom, right? We want to be free. We, and that's exact, In fact, our country exists because of our pursuit of freedom. We lived underneath an oppressive government, and we said, we want to be free, so we're going to travel across the world and develop a whole other country so that we can be free. We get it. Something inside of you looks at something, this, this condition of your life and says, I can be free. I can be free like the way that, like William Wallace, you know what I'm saying, Braveheart, Mel Gibson, you want to put some blue stuff on your face and wear a kilt, you want freedom, you know what I'm saying? And you want to pursue it. Maybe you don't want to wear the kilt, but you know what I'm saying. You want to be free and you have that desire and you find freedom. But once you find freedom and you, you have it, it leads to a time of prosperity. This is good stuff. Man, this is the time in your life once you get free that you start feeling really good about yourself, right? You get some momentum going. Your life feels like it's headed in the right direction. It's all good. You're happier. You're getting prosperity of the soul. And man, this is a good place to be. I'm in a time of prosperity, but you got to watch it because the time of prosperity will lead you to a time of complacency and to, to, a, to a place of pride because what happens is, is the way you got free, whatever you did to get free, you stop doing those things. You're like, all right, well, I got my finances in order. I paid off all my bills. But look, we got a whole bunch of money in the bank account. Let's go out and spend it, right? Or like you get so far in your diet goals and you're like, man, I've lost tons of weight. One little Oreo cookie won't hurt me. One line of Oreos won't hurt me. Okay, a whole pack won't hurt me, right? And so you start letting your guard down. You let your guard down, and what happens? Well, your marriage that got into a better condition because you fought for freedom, 
it starts to lapse. Your finances start to lapse. Your health starts to lapse. Your relationships, your time with God. You're like, man, I'm in a good place. I was in such a bad place when I came to God. I was going to church every Sunday. I was going to prayer on Sunday nights. I was reading my Bible and talking to God every day. Things are good now, though. I'm in a time of prosperity. So the things you did to get to that spot, you suddenly stop doing. And what winds up happening is you're back in bondage. This is the cycle. Freedom, prosperity, and bondage. Because where there's freedom, there's prosperity. Where there's prosperity, if you don't know what to do with it, it leads to bondage in your life. The things we did to experience freedom, we just stop. We just stop doing them. And we pick up our old habits again, and we wind up in the exact same place. I don't know if you can tell this or not, if these lights are bright enough, but I'm a big boy. Does that help you see? I'm, a, I'm, getting, I'm getting down. That's right. She's right. I'm down 13 pounds, bless the Lord. But listen, oh no, save it, save it, save it for later. Listen, here's the deal. I get stuck in this cycle all the time. In fact, you can ask my wife. I've been in this cycle. We, before we got married, I lost about 40 pounds. Don't stress, though. I found it. I found it, and then what the Bible says is right, that when that spirit leaves you, it brings seven back, and you're worse than the first time. Because, see, I found my weight and some of yours that you lost. I found it for you. I'm just holding it, okay? And every time I get into that cycle, I lose a bunch of weight, and then I gain it back, and, and, then, and then a little more every time. I get into that cycle. Like I said, I'm down 13 this time. We'll, we'll see if I actually, if I, if I can fight through and break the cycle myself. Y'all pray for me and I'll pray for you, amen? Let's just do that. I'll just, just, just confess to you. I need your help there. But this cycle exists everywhere. We, we don't like it. We don't want it. We don't want to repeat the cycle, but it does. So how do we stop the cycle? Because if you want to remain free indeed, you need to figure out how to do that. And you need to understand you're not alone in this. This has been happening even since the beginning of Christianity. Do you know that in the Bible, God gave us something called the law? And he told the, the Israelites, he's like, listen, you're going to be my people who are going to be called by my name, and I'm going to give you these laws, and you need to abide by them. But the law was never given so that they could follow it perfectly. Nobody ever did. In fact, the law, all it did was introduce more bondage and revealed to them their inability to do it in the first place. And they, they came under even more bondage because of it, because they just couldn't do it. Nobody could do it perfectly. And then when Jesus steps onto the scene, he offers them freedom. He says, listen, he said, your, your righteousness, your right way of living is not about you obeying all the law. It's about what I've done for you. And so people received this freedom in Christ. They were free from trying to live up to the law because they couldn't in the first place. Jesus did it for them. And so, so the, what's happening in, in the church is prosperity follows it. They, they got freedom in Christ. Prosperity followed. The church began to grow. And there was all this caring and sharing and giving and receiving and having. I mean, it was just this amazing time for them. Totally amazing. But then what happened? In this time of growth of the church, they said, hey, you know that law we could never do? Let's go ahead and bring that back in. And they picked their old ways back up. And they brought bondage back into the relationship with Jesus. The freedom that they experienced, they lost because they returned to their old ways. In fact, Paul in Galatians was fighting it. In Galatians 5.1, he said, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What he's saying to them is what I'm saying to you today, is that you don't have to repeat the cycle. You can stop it. How? 
Well, freedom comes in two forms, and you need both of them. It comes in a moment, and it comes through a process. Your moment is a moment of deliverance that you experience where you encounter God and faith rises in your heart and you find deliverance. It's where you say never again to that thing in your life. You draw that line in the sand, you step across it, and you never look back. That's your moment of deliverance. And many of you have had those, and yet you find that you've kind of done what we call backslid. You step back across the line and you let that thing back in your life. It's because you didn't have the second thing, and that's the process you need a process, and that process is called discipleship, where you learn how to maintain freedom. Because freedom is not just a moment, it's a process. That's why I ask people to give me a year of your life. If you're going to come here and you want to see freedom in your life, give me a year. It's a process. Do what we do. Come to church on Sunday mornings. Come to prayer on the last Sunday of the month at 6 o'clock. That's when we do it. Come join us for that. Get into a group. Take growth track. Serve on one of the dream teams. Figure out where God has gifted you and serve there. Make a difference in other people's lives. Do all that we do. Give me a year. And at the end of that year, if you would say, Aaron, God hasn't changed my life at all. I submitted to the process and nothing's changed. Then I will help you find another church and I'll go attend it there with you. Because apparently we don't got it like I think I do. You hearing me? I'll go with you. I'll go. But give me a year of your life and submit to the process because you need a process of discipleship. You need a moment of deliverance and a process to follow. And that's what we do in our grow groups. Our grow groups is so important. In fact, one of the most important ones that we're gonna launch for the first time ever this fall is a freedom group. You all need to be in that because week by week, it will peel away the layers of your life like, an un like you're peeling an onion and God's light will be able to shine into all the lies that you believe that you're not even aware that you believe. I promise you, it's something you're gonna wanna do. All of us need to do it, me included. So, we're, so in the fall, make sure you make a plan when we launch our groups that you get into a freedom group. But I have to tell you this, that no matter whether you get into that group or not, all of our groups are structured to take you through a process. Our, our grow groups are structured to walk you through a process where you find freedom. And so to illustrate this process today, what I want to do is I want to show, share with you a story that many of you are familiar with. It's the story of the prodigal son. You, even if you're not a Christ follower, you heard of the son who left and returned home and the father who welcomed me home. This is that story, and there's some truths in it that I want you to see so that you understand this is how we break that cycle, and this is what that process of deliverance looks like. This is how you keep your freedom, all right? Luke 15, verse 11, it says, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to the father, father, give me my share of this, the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now I want you to put a pin in that for just a second. He had two sons, and he divided his property between them. Now when the younger son came and asked him, dad, I want, I want my inheritance, he was basically saying to the dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead, and the money that's coming to me when you die, I want it now. And that's the younger son asking for it. And the dad shouldn't have done it, but he was graceful and loving, and so he did it. He divided the property between them, all right? We'll come back to that here after a bit. And it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So here's the cycle, guys. He gained some freedom, got some prosperity, moved out, started experiencing life, and 
he wound up in bondage. There was a, a great famine in the country, and he didn't have anything. And what the prodigal son does here is something that you and I are going to have to do for the rest of our life if we are to break this cycle of freedom, prosperity, and bondage. We want to stay freedom and prosperity, right? That's where we want to hang out. If you want to break the cycle, you're going to have to do this the rest of your life. The first thing you're going to have to do is admit that you need help. Most of us are reluctant to do that. Like, we don't like doing that. It makes us uncomfortable to say, you know what, I, I need some help. I need some help in an area of my life. It's, it's not easy for us to, to say it because we want everybody else to think that we've got it together. We want everybody to think that we're okay. The, the way that we look on Sunday, the way that we look on Facebook, that that's us all the time, and it's just not. It, it's just not. And I'm gonna tell you this, you will always be in bondage if you resist this first step. You'll, always, you'll never find freedom if you resist telling people, I need help. This is really, really hard for guys. Guys, we, we, we struggle. We struggle to tell anyone that we need help because we want to look like Superman for our families. And guys, let me tell you something. Confession doesn't make you weak. It means you're courageous. Hello? It makes you courageous. So, so take a step of faith. Admit that you need help. That's what the young man did, but not first. Look, it says, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. In other words, he did what he could do. He did his best to solve the situation. And look where it wound him up. He said, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. I don't know if you've ever seen pig slop before, but it's disgusting. I mean, they will eat anything. And he, he wanted to feed him, uh, to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And listen, if you're in a place where you wound up in bondage again, this is what will happen to you. You'll wind up eating the pig's food, or at least desiring to, to eat it. Your best effort will not bring you freedom. It will take you lower. You need to admit that you need help. And that's what this young man does. It says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. Now, he's admitting that he needs help. Now, I know he's admitting it to himself, but in just a moment, he's going to go back to the father and admit to the father, hey, I've messed up. I need some help. And I, I mean it. Hear me today. You will never be free until you admit that you need help. This is a huge step in your Christian journey that you need to take. I don't like it, but we need to do it. This is truly the secret of our grow groups here. Because in our grow groups, you get into a situation where you have the opportunity to get to know some people and to be known by other people. The opportunity for you to take off the mask and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Because here's what happens. You'll get into one of our grow groups, which by the way, our groups are coming to an end right now, but we'll launch another set of groups in June that you're gonna to wanna to look at. There's gonna be a great, a great number of groups to get in, uh, and the, our, our summer season of them is only six weeks long, and so you'll, you'll go through, we'll have those ones, off, off, those ones available to you. Uh, if you're like many people and you're traveling during the summertime, we'll also launch the 13-week ones in September. So, but understand that, that getting into a group, you'll sit in a group and here's what'll happen. Somebody will start confessing, well, this is an area of my life that I need help with. And as they confess their needs, it makes you comfortable to share where you're hurting, and what you need. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way, friendship is born the moment you find out someone else struggles with the same thing you do. 
Do you know why? Because while we're inspired by your strengths in your life, we connect with one another through weaknesses. That was so good. Somebody should write that down. You need to believe that. I'll be inspired by your strengths all day long, but I'll connect with you through how weak you are if you're willing to share those things. The devil doesn't want you to do that, though. He wants you to think you need to hide that, keep yourself closely guarded. That is the worst thing for you. We fear that. We fear sharing. We fear what people are going to think of us. It terrifies us. And listen, if you in, get into one of those groups, it's not like you have to sit in front of the 10 or 12 people that are there and tell everybody. Find one or two of the people in the group. Pull them aside. They don't even have to be people that are, that are in a better situation than you. If you want to find the worst, somebody that's got the worst situation in the group and say, listen, you, you're, you're pretty worse than I am, so I got something I need to tell you. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever you need to do, that's fine. Share. Open up your heart and say, listen, this is what's going on. That's the secret of Simple Church. You understand that, right? That's why our people are growing. That's why this church continues to grow in numbers. It's not because of the lighting. It's not because of the coffee. It's not because of the band or the amazing preaching. <laughs> that hurts my feelings, though. It's not because of me. It's because of you. It's because of you. It's because you guys are willing to gather in groups, and when somebody comes in, you share your weaknesses, and they connect with you. You are the secret sauce to this church. You are the catalyst to people getting free. Your willingness to be in a group and open up is how other people get free. It's also how you get free too. You need to be in a group. And once you're there, admitting your need for help, you need to do the second thing in the, to break this cycle is to humbly repent to God and others. See, there's two places you need to repent. And, and the, the prodigal son knew that. In fact, that's what it says in the story. He says, I'll set back and go back to my father. I'll set out and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, so I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. See, he knew he wasn't going to be able to get free, to change his circumstances, just dealing with the situation between him and God. That is a common misconception. People go, well, I've messed up again, and I'll just talk to God about it. The reason you like to do that is because of the anonymity of the whole thing. Between you and God, nobody else knows that it's happened. Well, God, I messed up. I need you to forgive me. And God is faithful. He says, if you're faithful to confess your faults, he's faithful to forgive you. That's the truth. You need to know that. However, that's not God's plan for you to end this thing. Because he'll be faithful to forgive you, but he's not going to look at you and say, hey, this is never going to happen to you again. Because it will, unless, unless you do the second part of what the young man did. So he confessed to God, and then he repented to his father. He repented to someone else. That's God's plan. Confess to him, and he'll forgive you, he'll do what no one else can do, and then you need to confess to somebody else. That's James 5.16. It says, confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another so that you can be forgiven. No. So that you can be healed. So that you can be healed. So that you don't have to return to that thing. You can be healed. That's what keeps you from doing it again. It's when you confess to someone else, I messed up. I need you to pray for me. I need to be healed in my life. And what happens is, is God forgives you. You pray with someone and you find healing. You say, but how does that work? You don't need to know how that works. What you need to understand is that your obedience to the process, trusting God and taking that step of faith by confessing to someone else, he adds his power to it and that's what brings healing. That's all you need to know. You don't need to understand it to obey it. You just need to obey it. If you want freedom, the key to it is people in your life. That's what brings healing because there's power 
and humbly repenting to God and to people. Now, you need to understand, repenting is not just an apology, all right? It's not just you saying sorry, although within repentance, there's likely an apology, the, the I'm sorry statement, but that's not what repentance is. Repentance is, is, is a, a word in Greek, because your Bible's written in Hebrew and Greek. The word in Greek is the word metanoia. It's two words. The first part of the word is meta, which means change. It's like a metamorphosis, like a butterfly. It means change. The second part is noia, which means mind. Repentance is not saying sorry. Repentance is changing your mind. That's what it's really all about. And you, how many of you know that changing your mind doesn't happen instantly? It doesn't happen in a moment. Changing your mind is a process that you go through where slowly over time, you begin to change how you think and you change your mind. This is what groups help with. When you get into a small group or into one of our grow groups, you spend time with other people who are confessing, hey, I got this issue, but this is the way God's working on it in me. This is how he's helping me. And you learn to follow Jesus better together because over time, your mind changes. You go through a process of repentance. In fact, I'm convinced that you're doomed to repeat this cycle if you don't get into a group. If you don't have a group of people where you can confess and share and have your mind changed so that you can live differently. I'm telling you, I'm I'm convinced. And you'll wind up sad and depressed and asking God, God, why aren't you helping me? Here's the answer. Because you didn't trust the process. You didn't do what he asked you to do in the first place. You need to trust him, follow his process. Admit you need help. Repent to God and repent to others. And then here's the last two things you need to do. And this this next one I'm going to tell you, no matter if you do it, the devil's going to keep fighting against it. He's actually going to keep on lying to you. Because the next thing you need to do is to choose to reject Satan's lies. Because even if you do this, the second you start choosing to reject his lies, he's just going to keep on lying to you. In fact, he's probably lying to you through this whole message. I'm sitting here talking about freedom, and you know that area in your life where you have bondage, where you are not free. And you're sitting here thinking about it, and I'm telling you, you can be free, and the devil's going, no, you can't. No, you, don't, listen, don't, don't, don't listen to him. You can't be free. No, that's not true. What he's saying won't work for you. It hasn't worked for other people. It's not going to happen for you. You've tried this before. It's never going to happen. He's just lying to you because that's what he does. The Bible says when the devil is speaking, your enemy, don't forget, when he speaks, he's lying. That's his native language. That's all he speaks is lies. He, he, he has no ability to speak truth. And he's sitting here lying to you right now. If he's not lying to you now, by the time you hit the parking lot or before you wake up in the morning, he will have lied to you and you will have believed them. You need to reject the enemy's lies. You see this and it play out in the story. And this is not the popular part of the story. Most of us Stop reading this part, of the, the rest of the story, once we get to the sun coming home and the big party and the celebration. We like that. But Jesus continues to tell the story, and it's about the older brother who, who never left. And it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? I'm hearing cool and the gang playing Celebrate. Celebrate, good time, come on. Right? It's like it's going on. It's a... There's a party going on right here, celebration. It's, anyway, all right, you get it. And the servant looks at him and says, your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now watch the older brother as he gets in bondage. And he says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went and out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Don't you like that when kids look at their parents and go, I've been slaving all day. They've like been cleaning their room for 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, we're, we're slaving. It's like, listen, let me set you straight. You eat three meals here a day. And like that's like been for the, all of your life. And you don't pay for any of it. And, you know, then I can go on with the clothes and the Wi-Fi. I mean, we could just stop right at the Wi-Fi if you'd like. Take that right out of your life. You'll see, you'll see them change their attitude if you threaten to take the Wi-Fi away. I've actually done that before. That's, what, that's one of the things my friends admire about me. They said, man, you're mean. You just picked up, I picked up the router one day and just walked out of the house with it. No lie. Slave in my rear end. I'll just take this with me. <coughs> Sorry. I, I, I just, funny trail. He said, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Now, unless he's Jesus, he just lied right there, right? Because nobody's perfect. No kid obeys their parents perfectly. It's just not true. He says, yet you never even gave, uh, gave, gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, watch how arrogant he is, how pompous and proud he is. Look at his position and how he's lifted him up. This son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, and you kill the fattened calf for him? Ooh, he thinks a lot of himself. He thinks a lot of himself. What's he so upset about? Why is he so crotchety? Well, he, the older son had listened to some lies. He bought into them. And I'm going to tell you, when you buy into some lives, you behave very differently. The older son thought he was better than the younger son. Because he never left, and he slaves. He's bought into the lie that, that he's better than the younger son. He's upset, I've never done anything wrong. Yes, he had. He was not perfect. But he believed that he was, which made him better than the kid. And he says, and you never gave me even a goat. Remember when I said, let's put a pin in that? The beginning of the story, the father divided the property and gave it to them. According to Jewish culture, and it says that whatever the, the property was to be divided, the oldest son, which is this guy, he would have got double what anybody else got. Well, there's only a two-way split. That means the older son got two-thirds of the property, two-thirds of the business, two-thirds of the wealth, and the younger son would have got a third of it. And here he is saying, you never even gave me a goat. He was totally off. He had already been given two-thirds of everything. But he believed a lie. And that's the power of a lie. It'll destroy your attitude. It'll destroy your relationships. It'll rob you of your joy because you believe something that's not true about yourself. We're all, the, we're all in this situation. There are lies in our life that we believe. In fact, I'm going to tell you just plainly, we're all elephants. Sorry, Pastor, how did you get there? I followed you through the prodigal son, but how did we become elephants? Is that a fat joke? No. See, an elephant, the way they train an elephant, is when it's a baby, they shackle it with iron shackles. And they wrap it around its leg and they stake it to the ground. And that baby elephant, as best as it can, can't get away. But what happens in the progress of time is that baby elephant stops being a baby elephant. It becomes an adult elephant. But because the baby elephant's never been able to get away, he's continued to buy into the lie that even as an adult, he won't be able to get away. And now not an iron shackle keeps him bound, but a small rope 
tied around his ankle and staked to the ground keeps him in place. We're all elephants. We all have lies that we've believed. And these lies keep us bound when truly, if you realize the nature of who you are, if you knew God's truth about your life, you'd do exactly what an elephant can do. Because an elephant, a grown elephant, could snap that cord with just one move of its leg if it decided to as an adult. You need to be like an elephant and break free from the lies that have kept you bound. Are you all hearing me? You need to break free. We have to do this. We have to choose to reject Satan's lies in our life. The father says to the son, hey, my son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Here's the truth of the situation, son. You need to get a perspective shift. And you need to acknowledge the truth. And that's the last thing. Daily choose to receive God's truth. If you have to reject the lies, you've got to receive God's truth. Many of you don't even know what God's truth is. You have no idea what it is. You, have, you couldn't identify the lies and you couldn't replace it with the truth because you don't know. When we look at this story, it, it outlines it for us. And I'll just share it with you quickly and we'll close. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. These three things, the robe, the ring, and the sandals, demonstrate what God has for you today. It's his truth. It's what he thinks about you today. First, when we look at the robe, God puts on a robe of righteousness on each and every one of us. And that doesn't mean what you think it means. It kind of sounds like a big churchy word, right? And you think, is this going to be like a purple robe with gold tassels? Like, does everybody get one of these? I didn't get mine yet. Where do I pick that up? That's not what we're talking about. The robe of righteousness has to do with how you view yourself. And this is part of God's truth for your life because, see, the problem is, is you and I don't see ourselves as God sees us. We just don't. We see ourselves as we are. We see ourselves through our life experiences, through our failures and our successes, our mistakes, things that have happened to us, good and bad. We see ourselves through that filter. And I'm going to tell you there's a heavenly perspective that we need to gain. See, the Bible says that when we become Christians, that we become robed in Christ's righteousness. That means that it's not about what you've done. It's not about who you are. Not anymore. It's about who he is. And it's about what he's done. And when you are in Christ, robed in his righteousness, God doesn't see you as who you are. He sees you as who Jesus is. That's the truth. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so when the enemy comes pounding on your door and tells you that you need to pick up your shame, tells you how horrible the mistakes are that you've made in your life, tries to tell you how unworthy you are, your response is, no, no, no. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who I am. And then the second thing that the father put on the young man is his ring. The ring represented authority. What it was is the opportunity, if you look at some of the old movies about Roman times, you'll see they had this ring. And when something was to be made official, when authority was to be exerted in an area, they would declare something, they would write it down, they would drip some wax, and they would stamp that ring. That seal carried the authority 
of Caesar and of the rulers of the time. And the father took his ring off and put it on the son. And he gave him his authority. And God does the same thing with you. When you step into a relationship with him, he gives you his authority. That's why when people come to me and they say, Aaron, will you pray for me? I'll be like, yes, I will, but I would rather agree with you in prayer. In other words, I'd rather join the prayer that you're praying. How are you praying about this situation? I'll pray and you pray too because there's nothing special about me. Are you hearing me, church? There's nothing special about me that isn't special about you. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. That's why I want you to pray for each other. I'll join you in how you're praying. You have the same authority in your life that I do. So what does that authority allow me to do? It allows you to tell the devil to get out. See, that's something. When he comes knocking at your door, no, devil, you got to go. Not today, Satan. You can be as sassy as you want to about it. I don't care. Not today. You got to go. You say, Aaron, but I told him. I told the devil he's got to go and he's still there. No, he's not. This is him. The second you tell the devil he's got to go, he's got to go. This is him. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. You can't make me leave. I'm not going. I'm not going to listen to you. You can't make me go anywhere. I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. I'm not going anywhere. You understand me? You tell him to go, he's got to go. The only thing he's got is lies in your life. You've got authority, and on his way out, he's lying to you the entire time, saying he's not going anywhere while he's leaving. It's on you. You've got the authority. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you have his authority in your life to tell the devil to get out. That's who you are. You need to believe that. And you need to understand this last thing. God wants you to understand how he sees you. He wants you to understand the authority you have in your life. And he wants you to know what he's done for you. The truth is, is that none of this is about you. It's not about you. It's about what he wants to do for you and what he's already done for you in Christ. We call this the gospel, the good news. That Jesus did everything to set us free. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's it's, it's good to hear. I don't have to work for it. I couldn't earn it. God just gave this to me. It's a free gift. And that's what God has for you today. And you see it play out in the shoes that the Father put on the Son's feet. The Bible in Ephesians 6 calls these, the, these the, the, that our feet would be shod with the gospel. See, in those times, whenever you came to somebody's house, the first thing the host would do was wash your feet. Your feet would be dry and cracked covered with mud and feces as you walked the road of life. They would wash your feet, but the pain from the journey would still be there. And God wants you to have peace, so he put shoes on you. He wants you to be comforted, not in who you are, but in who he is and what he's done for you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we bow and worship and praise before you. Lord, we surrender ourselves completely and unreservedly in every area of our life. We take a stand against all the workings of Satan in our life. And Lord, we resist all the endeavors of Satan and his wicked spirits, his attempts to rob us of, the, of your will. Lord, we ask today to help us. 
we choose to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We pull down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and loose into ourselves a sound mind, the mind of Christ. Lord, we thank you today for setting us free. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and our lives. I thank you, God, that today we're going to replace the lies of the enemy in our life with your truth. Lord, that we're going to confess, not just to you, but to others, and that we're going to ask for help. Lord, I know there's pain and hurt in so many people's lives today. I know what it's like to have something that just continues to, to hang on. I thank you today, Lord, that faith is rising, that our moment of deliverance is here, and that we now understand your process that we're willing to walk through, to fight the battle in our flesh, to fight the battle in, the, in this world, to shut the doors, to break the cycle. Lord, be with us as we take this journey. In Jesus' name. As we continue to pray, there are some of those of you in this room that you'd say you're far from God. You'd identify and say, Aaron, I'm not even sure about my relationship with God. I'm not even sure that I'm a Christian. I doubt, you're doubting your standing with God. And if that's you here today, you can get that right. This is your moment, and you can join me in this prayer right now. And if that's you, I'm going to pray. And if you want to be joined in that prayer, if you want me to count you in, would you just let me know that's you by slipping up your hand saying, Aaron, that's me. Do that now. Do it now. Do it now. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Listen, this is your moment. Church, let's pray together. Somebody's getting set free. In Jesus' name, pray these words. Jesus. I need you. Fill my life. Forgive me. Set me right. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.